And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. God gave Gideon this really interesting little nugget to help encourage him. Remember, Gideon's the guy that constantly, we, we kind of, as, you know, here we are 3,500 or so years later, we kind of knock him for his doubt and his fear repeatedly, even though, like I've told you, he's probably the most like us of all of the judges that are listed for us. And God just kind of had to plug in this one little extra nugget here right before he goes into battle. Hey, these people are afraid of you. And these people are afraid of of me. And I've already told you, I've got, I've got them delivered into your hand. This is done. Could you imagine being Gideon right here? He's literally, as we're going to jump into verse 16, that same night, he's about to go into battle. And God just gave him confirmation, dude, you're going to win. Dude, you're going to win. That's an amazing feeling. You ever gone into any kind of a situation where you, you just know all the cards are stacked in your hand and you, you know you're going to, I haven't either, but it would be really nice to know what that's like. But Gideon's going in with this and he just, that, that last statement, arise for the Lord hath delivered Israel into your hand, uh, delivered into your hand, the host of Midian. That's Gideon talking to the 300 men with him. He's like, we got this guys. This is, and by the way, might be the shortest pep talk in all of history, but it's all that's needed. Because yes. look at what it says, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand. God's got this, guys. Let's go. And they're about to go into battle. Look at verse 16. That's where we're going to jump into some new stuff this week. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. We can safely assume Gideon knew how to do math better than I do. How many people can you guess got put into these three companies if he has 300 men? A hundred each. Whoa, we just passed kindergarten. Good job, guys. The Bible does not tell us that there was a hundred men in each company, does it? Not once. Nowhere in here. But we can safely assume he's going to divide things evenly. Okay? Just because that's logical. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do... So shall ye do. When I blow with the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon actually here in uh, verse 17 and 18, he gives them the plan. Everybody, everybody's got a trumpet. We actually found that out early on in this chapter that everybody kind of just showed up with a trumpet. Again, really random thing to just like roam around with. But it was actually a fairly common thing to carry around for forms of communication. We kind of do the same thing. You, you know the old term for getting on the phone was getting on the horn? You do know that that's where this came from. You do now. And every old person in the room is, whoa, this young guy knows things. Cool. All right. So Gideon's got, they've all got a trumpet. They've all got an empty pitcher and a lamp inside that pitcher. And we find out a little bit more detail that this lamp is on some kind of a stick or a staff. They're holding it up. We find that out in the next section here. And there's an empty pitcher covering that up. And again, the idea of them being split up into even groups makes very logical sense in the next statement here. Because look what he says on, at the end of uh, about halfway through verse 18. It says, 
also on every side of all the camp. They're being split up into groups, and they're going to surround the Midianite army. Are we okay? Now, before we move any further, does anybody know where the Midianite army is physically located? We talked about this the last couple weeks in a row. They're in the valley. Gideon and his men are all along the top, surrounding this valley. That is an important factor to kind of keep in the back of your head. Here's an interesting note. Can you find anywhere in verses 16, 17, or 18 where God told Gideon this plan? No. No. But we do know that Gideon was following the Spirit of the Lord over and over and over again. Remember, God called him, you're going to do this for me, and that same night, here's your job. And did Gideon follow that to a T? Yes, he did. So somewhere along the lines, it may not have gotten recorded for us. God may have given Gideon this plan. We can't count that out. But it also may be that God picked Gideon because he knew Gideon would make a smart plan. God puts the right people in leadership at the right time to make the right decisions because they're God's man. Are we okay? So Gideon's got this plan. Now, according to any major study of military history, this is a stupid plan. They have, they have fire and noise, and that is it. By the way, did you know we use fire and noise still to fight battles? We actually have things called flashbangs. Shock and awe. It's loud, it's bright, you blind your enemy, you deafen them, then you go in and kill them. God knew about that before we did. Wow, mind-blowing stuff here. Are we okay? I, some of you are staring at me like you haven't woken up yet. Do we need to do, like, exercises? Are we okay? Do you need some caffeine? I have energy drinks in my office. Yeah, okay. They're in there. I got a whole case of Red Bulls. Go for it, ma'am. Or I, don't, I don't think anyone want to see Donna on Red Bull. That would be bad. <laughs> Just sorry to people on live stream. This is weird. Uh, verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. So verse 19 is kind of giving us a very, very short synopsis of, of what's about to be explained in a little bit more detail. They're surrounding the camp. That's literally the very beginning here. Gideon and the hundred men that were with him. By the way, that's kind of how we know he split them up into groups of a hundred, because Gideon's got a hundred. So if there's two other groups, it just makes sense. They came into the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. This is somewhere around midnight, somewhere around midnight. And it says right here, but they had newly set the watch. So they had literally just changed over who's going into watch, which means these guys typically went to bed around the time that the sun went down because they also got up when the sun came up. So this, these, most of this military, most of this army, this 135,000 men, they're dead asleep. And the fact that they had just changed the watch means that there is a, an ounce of confusion coming over. If you've ever watched any like bank robbery or heist movie, that's when all of it goes down is when they change the guard over, right? So that's exactly what Gideon's doing here. He's waiting, he's watching. And as soon as they change that guard, again, this is verse 19 is kind of a synopsis. Blow the trumpets and break the pitchers. Verse 20, and the three companies blew their trumpets and break the pitchers, held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all, and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. That's the phrase that Gideon had told them to shout at the end of verse 18. That was part of his instructions. Think about this for a split second. You got 135,000 men. 
Very, very small percentage of them are awake. That's the watch. Everybody else is asleep because they need their energy because they're planning to go into battle at any moment here. So middle of the night, all of a sudden, trumpets are going off from all the way around you. Lamps are suddenly being lit all the way around you and you just hear this shouting at, coming from all over the place. And you got to remember, they're in the valley, the Midianites, Gideon's men are at the top. This is echoing everywhere. 300 sounds way, way bigger. Way bigger. Anybody ever been to Old North Church up in Boston? That's the one if by land, two if by sea. Uh, we went there on a field trip several years ago, and I don't know how, but Mr. Potter convinced them to let us go up into what they call the, the pulpit stand there. Uh, it's usually locked off, but he'd talk to somebody, and next thing I know, Ben's up there, like, you know, talking. Those things are amazing, okay? The pulpit, and part of the reason churches today are set up the way they are is because before microphones and amplification, they would go high, they would put the pulpit higher up and there was a sounding board over top of it, typically in an octagon or hexagon shape that was rounded on the inside so that you could just barely talk at a fairly normal level like this and it would echo that sound everywhere, did you know they copied that concept? And if you look at the roofs of old churches, the inside ceilings were always a concave and a series of those. They stole that from how valleys are shaped and how echoes come because it amplified voices. So you've got 300 men strategically placed all the way around, trumpets going off. Are trumpets quiet instruments? No, you've got 300 trumpets, worst orchestra in the history of the world, 300 of them all going. And by the way, if it was 300 Christians, there's at least one that's off key and they're probably the loudest one, right? Because that's just make a joyful noise and we've taken that one to heart. So you got 300 of these things going off and then they start shouting the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And you can't imagine they're only saying that one time. And that's coming have you ever tried to get a whole group of people to say the same thing at the same time? It's going to be in staccato. There's going to be whole layers of this. So as those layers continue to reverberate, the Midianites think they're surrounded by an army bigger than they are. God knew exactly what he was doing. By the way, whether God gave Gideon this plan or Gideon came up with this plan, God put the right person in place. He's got an ability to do that. Why? Because he already knows everything that's going to happen. He's got it all laid out. And he told Gideon, I'm going to deliver them into your hand. This is going to be cake here. And look at verse 21. And they stood every man his place round about the camp. This is Gideon and his men stood still. Told you, weirdest battle plan in all of history. They have fire. They have trumpets. And so far... Their biggest weapon is yelling. I would be amazing in this battle, okay? Because I, I, I know how to use my diaphragm. For a little dude, I'm pretty loud, okay? But other than that, they're just, they're just there. They're just standing there. That's literally what the Bible says. And they stood, every man in his place, round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled. 135,000 people started going nuts. By the way, have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night? If, if you have kids, that, that answer is definitively yes. One, when, we, when we first had the twins. We don't know what it's like, by the way, to have one kid. People ask us all the time, what was it like having twins? <laughs> 
terrible. I don't know. (laughs) But Paisley, and I'm going to give her name, please. My dad did this to me for years, so I'm now sharing the love. Paisley would just come and just stare. In the middle of the night, she'd just walk right up next to the bed, like right here by your face, and just stare at you. And I don't care how asleep you are, you know someone's staring at you. And the next thing you know, this ice-cold little hand would touch you. Dad. I I almost punched her at least a dozen times. (laughs) Terrifying. After that, Carla and I switched sides, and my side of the bed is now away from the door because I'm not doing that again. I really don't want to go to jail for hitting my kid in the middle of the night. Just like... That's terrifying. These guys are woken up, not by this still, small, soft stare, but by this explosive noise, trumpets, shouting, the sounds of war, and all of a sudden the valley, the the mountains all the way around are being lit up in the darkness. This is terrifying. Look at what it says. The host ran and cried and fled. This is, this is absolute bedlam, chaos. Verse 22, and the 300 blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. So these guys were given an indication here in verse 22 that the trumpets, they kept blowing them. They kept yelling this. This was a repeated thing over and over and over again. And look at what happens here in verse 22 again. The Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the hosts. They all started killing each other. Remember, where they're at, it's still dark. They can see the lights all the way around. They can hear all the noise, but they've all been in bed. Anybody here still sleep with the nightlight on? Wow, two people admitted that. I'm amazed. Congratulations to you. I've been, from the time we moved here, uh, when we used to live in the condo over behind uh, Oakdale, my bedroom was in the basement and it was just pitch black. I love when it's just completely dark, weirdly cold. That's just, I sleep like the dead. It's amazing when it's like that. These guys, it's dark and all of a sudden there's all this noise is going off. They're just pulling out swords and they just start hacking away at whoever's nearby. 135,000 people indiscriminately hacking away with swords. Guys, this would have been a horrific scene to be viewing. And Gideon and all his men, granted, it's dark. They may not be able to see a lot, but they can hear what's happening. You ever heard something bad happen before you saw it? That's kind of what Gideon and his men are going through. And look at the last part of verse 22. And the host fled, fled to Beth Shittah in Zerarath and to the border of Abel Meholah unto Tabath. So they just started running away. A couple different directions are listed here and they're just running away. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali and out of Asher, out of all of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. These are all the people that Gideon started with. Do you remember how big was his army when he started? 32,000. And they were men of Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh. They're all back. All of them are back, and they pursued after the Midianites. There's a couple little notes to, to kind of keep in track here. One thing that's gotten repeated twice here is in verse 18 and then again in verse 20. One of the things that Gideon instructed the people to shout was the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Is this Gideon being full of himself? No. It's Gideon using their fear against them. Go back to verse 14. We read it at the very beginning on purpose. Look at verse 14. And his fellow answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon. They were already afraid 
They're already worried that they're going to lose. Gideon just used their fear against them. Again, God put the right man in the right place at the right time, and he, God gave him these, this information, and Gideon just used their own fear against them. Genius move right here. They're terrified. They may not know who God is. We have to give them some ounce of credit. Again, the Midianites and the Ishmaelites were cousins through Abraham of the Israelites. They at least knew of the Lord. They had to have. They've also been coming in and out. Does anybody remember how many years in a row that the Midianites have been coming in and out and stealing all their crops? Seven years. They had to have known at least who the Lord was, even though they didn't worship him. Even though they maybe didn't necessarily believe in him, they knew of the Lord. Are we okay? But now, there's at least a thing in the back of their head before this battle that there's it. If we don't believe in God, we do know that there's a guy. He tore down Baal's altar and Baal didn't do anything. Remember, Gideon got that nickname, Jerubbabel, battled against the God and won. That would have gotten spread pretty rapidly. And Gideon's just standing here and he uses this to his advantage. And for the most part, from verse 19 down to verse 22, Gideon and his 300 men did nothing but stand there. Did nothing but stand still. Who won the battle that night? God did. Did you know if we're facing an enemy we don't think we can win? We'll stand still and let God take care of it. He can take care of it. And he may need us to yell a little bit. That may be in there. Might have to light a fire. Might have to sound a trumpet. But if we'll let God do it, God can take care of it. And this enemy ran away screaming and crying from a significantly smaller minority here. Because with you and God, you're always going to win if you'll take God's side. And that's the problem. God's on our side, but we're not always on his side. Because a lot of times we go up against these enemies, and we've talked about this repeatedly as we've dealt with Gideon here. We, we believe in God, we come to church, we read our Bible, but at the same time, when something happens, it's human nature. We decide, I'm gonna figure out how to solve this problem by myself. And then we go all sound of music. How do we solve a problem like Maria? We just take care of it ourselves and forget that we have a God that can do anything. Gideon didn't do that. Why do you think he's in the Faith Hall of Fame at the end of the New Testament? Because he followed what God said, even though it might have been a little crazy. Stand still, blow a trumpet, and shout for a while. I got everything else under control. If God gave you and I those instructions, we'd be like, uh, excuse me, I don't think that's going to work um, because I can't post that on Facebook. That's not interesting enough. Um, so, yeah, my social media following needs more than that. Um, do, you do know who I am. You know my skill level, right? I could take care of this, 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 and this. And here's a three-point outline that I color-coded for you, God. And he's like, no, just shut up, stand still, and let me win. Uh... We Okay. I'm going to say that a lot today, all right? Let's keep moving here. By the way, go to Romans chapter 8. This is a very prime example of, that. I believe it was John Hamblin always said that there's a, a New Testament verse for an Old Testament truth or vice versa, and that's because God put the Bible together. doesn't matter who wrote it. God's the one that was the ultimate authority on it, and that's why it all works. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We have the ability to win everything that comes into our path. But do we have the ability 
to let God take care of it. Because if you read that verse in Romans chapter 8, through him, not through me, not through my bank account, not through my logical thinking in mind, not through my multi-stepped detailed outline that I made in Microsoft Excel, through him. And you realize sometimes his plans are, hey, go stand still, light a fire, blow a trumpet, and scream a little bit, and let me take care of everything else. Sometimes his plans are, don't make sense to us at all, whatsoever. But if we will go through him, the Bible says more than conquerors. Right? The, the, the term that's floating around all over today is somebody who is considered the GOAT, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. I don't really like that because if you're a GOAT, people eat those? I don't want to eat Tom Brady. That's disgusting, okay? Um, but the greatest of all time. And by the way, in, in sports and a few other things, there are a handful of people that earn that title, right? Michael Jordan's considered the greatest of all time during his era. Tom Brady, whether you like him or not probably one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. There are a handful of people that earn that. That would be more than a conqueror. We have the ability to be that through him. Through him. You do realize here on earth, you may get forgotten about. But God's writing all of it down. There's rewards in heaven that are going to far exceed everything that you've ever been able to be rewarded for here more than a conqueror. By the way, why do you think Gideon's still listed in our Bible? In multiple places, and he's considered a man of faith, according to Hebrews, because he did everything he did through God. Amen. Are you and I willing to do that? It, everything in the book of Judges comes down to a bunch of random people. And by the way, study out these judges as, as we go through here. Study them out with me. These are really random human beings. No connection with each other nine times out of ten. And if you and I met them on the street, we would never think God's going to put that guy in charge of an entire nation for decades at a time. But he did, and they're recorded through history, and we consider them amazing human beings, more than conquerors. Why? Because they were willing to do whatever God needed them to do. I don't know about you, but I want to be remembered at some point. Not because I was funny, not because I was obnoxious, not because I was strong, because those are going to die off. Somebody's going to be funnier. Somebody's going to be more obnoxious, if you can believe that. Somebody's going to be stronger, guaranteed. But if I do it through him, that impact may last for generations. Just a thought. Go to verse 20. Go back to Judges chapter 7. Look at verse 24. I told you, I have like eight pages of notes. That was page one. So we will be here now until probably 3.30. Um, so if you Uber eats anything in, I take a large coffee, okay? Uh, and Gideon, verse 24, sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Bethbara and Jordan. So Gideon actually sends out some of his men, some of these 300 as messengers out and calls in now the tribe of Ephraim. He's already got uh, Asher, Naphtali, and Manasseh, the guys that had originally been part of his army. They're back. They're chasing the enemy. Some of the guys, remember I told you, they had run away in two separate directions. Some are running towards Ephraim. So Gideon calls on the men of Ephraim, I need your help. 
we, we're winning this battle. God's winning this battle. God's getting rid of our enemies, but we've all got to work together to defeat them here. He calls in the men of Ephraim, and at the second half of verse 24, there's no questioning they did exactly what Gideon asked them to do. Then all the men of Ethereum gathered themselves together and took the waters unto Beth Bara and Jordan. They just went. They just jumped up and they went. Verse 25. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb. And Zeb they slew with the winepress of Zeb. Let me pause for a moment. They chased these guys down. These are listed as princes of the Midianites. In the ancient world, a lot of time, the term prince was not necessarily an inheritance type of a thing. It was not like there's King Charles and Prince William, not like a, 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 an inherit, again, an inheritance type of an idea, a heritage where there's the next in line. Princes, a lot of times, were the governors. They were put in place to keep the people subject. And, the how, and, and what this is meaning here, I, I actually, this one verse, I studied out probably more than many of the others here. They slew Oreb upon the rock, Oreb, they killed these guys at home. Why do you think they have the name they have? The rock, Oreb, and Zeb, they slew at the winepress of Zeb. They chased these guys home and killed them. Why? Because they're part of the group that had been keeping them under subjection for seven years now, making sure that the Israelites are growing crops faithfully, making sure that anytime the Midianites needed to come in, that their path was cleared, everything that they needed was ready to go, these were, if you will, evil middlemen, and God took them out. And the Ephraimites just, no mercy, nothing's given here. They just took them out and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side, Jordan. The Bible is just amazingly graphic. They wanted to prove to Gideon that they did exactly what he said, so they cut these guys' heads off and brought them back to Gideon as an offering, as a gift, as a, hey, we got them. Here you go. Here's proof. Ew. Ew. Right? We, we've, the one we've talked about with this is David. When David slew Goliath, he carried the dude's head around. The guy was nine and a half plus feet tall. He had to have had a really big dome. And David carried that around, which proves to us that he had to have been a teenage boy. Because nobody else would have just been like, hey, look what I got. Like, he probably hung it up in his locker for all we know. Could you imagine trying to make a shrunken head out of a giant? It'd be like normal size, right? But he's just, and, and these guys, Ephraimites just show up with Oreb and Zeb's head. And, and there had to have been, by the way, something to signify who these people were just based on their head. You ever thought about that? How else would Gideon recognize? They could have just killed any old guy and just been like, oh yeah, that's Oreb and Zeb. But Gideon would have been able to recognize them in some way based on their head. Keep that in the back of your head. I will answer my own weird query here in a little bit, okay? Uh, look at verse number, uh, chapter eight, verse one. We're gonna jump right into the next chapter because uh, the way this particular section is written, this account, is it just kind of flows right through here. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, why hast thou served us thus, that thou callest, calledst us not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide with him sharply. The Ephraimites here are upset with Gideon. Why didn't you call us when you were going into battle in the first place? You called Asher and Naphtali and Manasseh, but why not us? And they did chide. They were upset with him. They just went and took out the enemy. Again, by the way, the Bible gives us no indication that at any point did they question, but for whatever reason, when they are done with this particular portion of the battle, killing Oreb and Zeb, they're upset about it. 
They're upset about not being called in the first place. Look at verse two. And he said unto them, what have I done now in comparison of you? This is Gideon talking. Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezar? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? And then their anger was abated toward him when he had said that. Soft answer turneth away wrath. They're upset, so Gideon brags on them. What have I done compared to you guys? Look at the guy. You brought their heads to me. You, you went out and you won this so swiftly that you brought their heads to me and we're still ready to... Guys, you did a phenomenal job. I, I didn't need to call you. you guys, he just sits there and brags on them. Unfortunately, some people need their ego stroked a lot. And one of the best ways to get them to chill out... And I know it's not our, our favorite thing to do. Well, they need to learn their lesson. Well, according to the Bible, the lesson may be stroke their ego a little bit, let things chill out and send them home. What? I, did we just read the same verses together? Because that's literally what Gideon just did here. Just a thought here. Okay? And I, wanna, I, I wrote this out and let me read it because it makes some sense that way. The men of Ephraim seem to have cared more about recognition than the overall good of Israel. And if you read through these couple verses... That actually seems to make a little bit of sense. Because look at the way that Gideon rephrases this. What have I now done in comparison of you? You guys are so great. Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ethereum better than the vintage of Abiezar? Guys, you have the best crops. Everything's better. They wanted recognition for winning this battle, for taking these guys out. And they maybe wanted that more than helping their fellow Israelite out. Just a thought, okay? Instead of being jealous about the recognition that others receive... We should be happy that God's people were, are being rescued, being helped, and that we got to be part of the victory in some way, big or small. And Ephraim didn't necessarily want that right off the bat. They wanted some recognition here. This, is an, it just, this, this part kind of messed with my head here. Gideon, again, didn't challenge their pride. He kind of stroked their ego just a little bit. Most importantly, he challenged them to get involved with the work of God that was at hand. Not to be the best, not to be the biggest name, but look, there's work to be done. Let's just all get it done. You do realize at the end of the day, we're all on the same team. Who is on the Lord's side? We're all on the same team. It doesn't matter if people like me or like him or like somebody else more. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. That got ripped to shreds in the New Testament, didn't it? Why? Because we're all on the same team. That's kind of the kind way of what Gideon's saying right here. You guys did a great job. Killer. I could have never done anything like that. Can we keep fighting? We still have more to do. Guys, we're all on the same team. And I don't know if you know this, the world's getting worse as we go along, which means we need as many people fighting on God's side as possible because the world needs more and more help than it's needed in a long, long time. By the way, as we get closer and closer to the Lord's return, the Bible says it will be as the days of Noah, where every imagination of their heart was only evil continually. The world's bad, but I don't know if we've gotten quite that bad yet. We're close. We need as many soldiers for Christ as possible. Amen. Get over yourself and get on the same team. I got real quiet. We're going to keep moving here. Look at verse four. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him faint 
yet pursuing them. I love this line. If you'd mark that, faint, yet pursuing them. Just to give you an indication, we are at less than 24 hours since this battle started. These guys, the battle started again around what time? About midnight. They're still going. They haven't stopped. Anybody here ever pulled an all-nighter before? Those are, those are so fun, aren't they? Mrs. Ball does those about once a week. I don't know why. Right? Uh, when I was in college, I, there was one moment when I was at Grace that I was working two jobs. I was taking about 20 credits. I was doing ministry stuff, and midterms came along. And if you ever did midterms in college, that's where every teacher decides they want to murder you halfway through the semester. Um, and I was, again, I was working about 70 hours a week between the two jobs, taking a, about 20 credits, full load. I was, I was just loaded up. I went about four plus days with no sleep. I finally got to one of the jobs. I was a cashier at Lowe's, and it was on the Friday of midterms. We had just finished classes. I ate lunch, and I didn't have a car, and I was also walking in between these jobs and classes. So, like, literally, very, very little rest of any kind. And I'm standing at work, and a, a manager was this tiny little lady. Think like Molly Rogers, except shriveled, okay? Um, and she comes up, and I just remember her shaking me like this. Tim, Tim. I'd apparently been asleep standing up for like 20 minutes. A customer had come up. I worked at a ca as a cashier at Lowe's, and the customer had come up and finally went and got the manager, her, and like, I, I think he's asleep. And she just looks at me, how long has it been since you slept? I said, what day is it? Friday. Monday. Well, you need to go home and go to bed. I had to walk two and a half miles back to my dorm. I got to bed about 6.30 Friday night. I woke up at seven o'clock Sunday morning. And you ever like woken up from a, from a nap that went too long and you can't remember what year it is, if you're human, whether or not you're, you're actually still, try doing that for like 25, 26 hours or more. It's dehydrated, it was a mess. Don't do that. It's not smart. These guys have been fighting a battle for hours upon hours upon hours. They're faint yet they're still going. Didn't the Bible say, be not weary in well-doing? You're gonna, by the way, you're gonna be weary in well-doing. That's why they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It does run out, but we can't quit yet. We gotta keep going, faint yet pursuing. And I'm gonna make you wait for the rest of this until next week. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for everything that you do for us. Lord, thank you for loving us.